Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning, and thank you guys for listening in with us today. It's a lot that we need to talk about. Um, it was an interesting start this morning. How's everybody been? No complaints on this end. Not that it matters anyway. But um, there's it's a lot happening. I want to tell you all a little bit about what happened in Cleveland. And it's just, it's, it's been good. It's been good. I've been able to get some rest. And I think that's what's important right now for me. That, you know, I take some time out for self-care and get some rest and do some of the things that I've been wanting to do. So that's what I've been doing. I've been um, putting everything in a proper perspective, getting out here and um, dealing with, you know, the health issues and personal issues and what have you. But I took a little time out to do something that I wanted to do because I deserve a vacation like everybody else. And it was great. It was great. Um, I'm telling you guys, I don't even have the words. That's why that Friday evening I posted on my wall and I said that it was absolutely amazing. And it was. Um, I mean, we really had to be there. I've read a few articles about, you know, and I'm talking about the Movement for Black Lives, the Black Lives Matter conference, and, I mean, it was like, <laughs> you know, I was, I was talking to Raina about it the other day, and it was like I didn't even have the words. I read some articles, and, you know, they were describing it as spiritual, uh, electric. I'll say, you know, and again, I know I have believers listening. And so, you know, yes, I guess you all would say it was a spiritual connection, you know, just an ex- a spiritual experience. But I know I also have some non-believers listening, and I know they're probably rolling their eyes up in their heads right about now. So what I would say for them is that it was both emotionally and mentally satisfying. Um, and what I mean by that is... You had people from all over, you know, not only all over from the United States. We had people from Canada, someone from England. Well, there was a few people from England, actually. And it was just, you know, everybody connecting together. And, you know, one of the articles I wrote, um, one of the intellectuals, you know, public intellectuals were there, and they were saying that they were able to think and, and and that's true because, you know, when you were there, it's like in our everyday lives, we're getting bombarded every day with all of these different news stories about people being killed, people being hurt and maimed and, you know, just a number of different things, you know, mixed in with some good news. But right now we're seeing just, you know, an overabundance of senseless murders by state violence. And when we, when we got there, we got there late Friday night. I'm sorry, Thursday night, going into Friday. And 
everybody was there, and it just started from the very beginning. People cheering when they saw the charter buses coming in and getting love-bombed all over the place and, you know, people helping each other. And it was just great. I mean, being love-bombed all over the place, it's just, it was some beautiful people there. And, I mean, you know, you had a mixture of, young adults and a mixture of middle-aged people and a mixture of, you know, some of our seniors with their sage wisdom, I'm telling you. Just, it was beautiful. And, you know, you couldn't walk down the block without someone saying, hey, sis, hey, bruh, you know, giving you a hug just because you were there. And it was, you know, I would say that it was a great weekend. And I enjoyed myself, and I met a lot of people that I did not really think that I would ever get a chance to meet besides, you know, social media. And, you know, I'm not going to get into details, but, I mean, these people were great. They were down to earth. Um, You know, they had different sessions, you know, different panels, and I went to quite a few of them. I actually went to one about the black church specifically, and I wanted to go to that panel because I wanted to hear, you know, um, what they had to say because it was about the black church and social justice. And interestingly enough, you know, one of the comments that popped up, I was waiting for this one, And it was a young woman who basically said that she believes that it's unfair for everybody to be pointing at the church in general and asking, where is the church in regards to Black Lives Matter, um, you know, this, this social movement that's going forward, this racial justice movement. And, you know, she was just talking about how she felt it was unfair that people are placing all of these expectations on the church. And so, you know, the instructors, they were saying, you know, a few things, but, you know, I had to raise my hand. And I said, (laughs) you have to put it in context. You have to put it in this proper historical context. And so I started talking about um, the Black Power Civil Rights Movement and how only just a minute percentage of the churches actually backed Martin Luther King Jr. They felt that he was a troublemaker. They were happy with the status quo. They didn't want anyone, um, you know, doing anything that would make their lives uncomfortable. They didn't want to, you know, upset, you know, the white people, if you will. However, they did allow, you know, the leaders, the activists, of that day to use the churches because, again, that was the only place we could go and meet and congregate without there being, you know, major issues. And so um, it was just interesting. So when I was talking to the, you know, to the people in the room, but specifically that young woman, I said, what you see now with the, you know, low numbers or the small percentage of churches that are actually participating in this social justice movement, I said, that is accurate. I'm like, it's a mirror image of what was happening then. And I said, what happened where the church kind of um, made their mistake and Raina's with us. Let me finish making this point, then I'll welcome you, Raina, but you're live. But um, I said, you know, what happened was after Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, the black church 
decided to, in their own way, kind of deify him. But in addition to that, they decided to pick up the mantle of the civil rights movement and the black power movement and say that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was representing, you know, the Christian church or, you know, Christianity and black people. Because, you know, we've already had conversations in which we talked about how Christianity is interwoven mm-hmm. into the very fabric of our culture. Do you want me to put you back on hold, Raina? I'm sorry? Okay. No. Sorry. I was try- I didn't oh. know that you had pulled me into the conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> so go ahead, finish it. You put yourself on mute and let me finish this up. But uh, No, no, I'm you know, fine. I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh, that's okay, honey. That's okay. But yeah, I was talking about how Christianity is interwoven into the very fabric of our culture. You know, black culture, African American culture. Had a debate about that a couple of days ago. But um, it, it's just interesting. But they picked that mantle up, and they've been running with it. And I know, I know, I've posted a couple of articles in which some ministers have just finally spoken up, and this was last year. You know, some ministers finally spoke up, and they said that, you know, that the civil rights movement was not based in the church. And they wrote this article way before what happened with Ferguson. And so it was just interesting because, you know, they are now finally admitting that, you know, the civil rights movement was not, you know, a black Christian movement. And so what I was explaining in that panel was it was a secular movement. And I told them, I said, the men that you see around Martin Luther King, and I talked about Byron Rustin being a free thinker, I talked about Asa Philip Randolph being an atheist, and, you know, I talked about a number of things. And I said it was a secular movement. And so, you know, um, one of the instructors, he was like, you know, he agreed with me, and he told her she's right. And, you know, and so it was interesting because at the very beginning of the class, they had everybody introduce themselves, um, tell what their pronoun, what pronoun they, you know, prefer to be uh, called, if you will. And basically, I was next to last. So everybody was introducing themselves, A, B, C, D, E. And then it got to me. And I said, you know, I gave my name, my pronoun. And I said, well, I'm a secular secular humanist who happens to be an atheist. And then all eyes were on me. I got everybody's attention then and and a few <laughs> a few of them were like, eh, you know how we do. And um, you know, it was just interesting because, you know, I was explaining that it is not my stance that the church should be abolished. I don't believe that to be so. And, you know, I believe that the way that some churches are set up now, especially with this prosperity gospel, and I just think it's capitalism on steroids. You know, if the church went back to serving its original purpose, and that is helping people in the community, and, you know, we all know how I feel about tithing. Keep your money for yourself, put it in the college fund for your kids, whatever, but you know, if, if if they go back to serving, you know, again, you know, they tell you to sow money into good ground, okay? So you have S-O-W. S, strangers, which are homeless people. P, 
people who are in dire straits, basically. Um, O for orphans, and that's basically any child that does not have a father. And W for widows, and I'll even say widowers at this point, because you got to remember you have to take all of this back and put it back in this proper context, because even now in certain countries, when a woman's husband dies, she has to rely on a husband's family and somewhat her family to go out and to do things for her, because in certain cultures, women cannot go out of the house without the male presence being with her. So, you know, we have to put it in context. But anyway, um, it's just interesting, but I had a damn good time that weekend. It was just funny because it was like it was hot and humid, and I was having my moments, right? And so I would sit down. They had all of these benches. And what I must say, I think Cleveland State University, because it's a beautiful campus, um, we were welcome. Um, I didn't feel, you know, uh, any of those microaggressions that we get coming our way. Uh, and like I said, just the black-on-black love, I mean, there's no other way to describe it besides it being electric or gratifying or satisfying. But it was funny because, you know, sometimes we had to walk long distances, and that's just not the business for me. And so they had all of, all of these benches. So I would sit down on the bench, and it wouldn't take long before somebody sat down next to me. And we'd get to talking and, you know, <laughs> laughing at some of the young folks because they were out there having a really, really good time. And it was really good to see. You know, and I appreciated it, and they were extremely, you know, um, polite, respectful. You know, I mean, I'm looking forward to next year. We'll just put it that way. Yeah, I guess this will be my, you know, my little yearly vacation. But, you know, um, it was no pressure because it's like I wasn't sitting on any panels. I didn't have a platform. I was there to enjoy. And so, you know, I was going to the different it, – it was just beautiful. The opening ceremony, man, now that's what made me – it actually produced tears in me. And, you know, we had Mike Brown's father, we had Emmett Till's cousin, um, Eric Garner's wife was there, um, Rakia Boyd's brother, let me see here, it was just, it was, everybody was a lot of people. And, you know, I got a chance to talk and meet some of them, you know, afterwards, and I'm telling you, it was phenomenal you know and and what they did was they practiced a song and you know um i'm pretty sure some of you know the song i need you to survive and so they changed some of the words they took you know a lot of the church words out and they personalized it and you know basically they had us sing it to the family and so each family, you know, um, members, you had a chance to come up to the microphone and talk about why they fight. And, oh, um, Jordan, uh, the young man down in Florida who was killed by that white guy who wanted them to turn down the music, his dad was Jordan there. English. Yeah, yeah. they're thinking very kindly. And so his dad was there. 
And his dad said, we received some justice, but justice, we were going to continue fighting until all of these families received justice. And it was actually beautiful because it was like, you know, we were on our feet, you know, and clapping for them because, you know, the picture of the family member would come up and then the family would come up, you know, the members that were there representing. And it was beautiful. And then they had all of us in the audience. They told us to sit down. And then they had the people stand up who had family members that were affected by, you know, state violence. And almost dang on near the whole audience was up. And, I mean, it was very, very touching. And, I mean, I I learned a lot. And, you know, it, it, so, you know, I was saying earlier how a lot of the intellectuals are saying that, you know, they were able to think, and it, and it was. You know, it, it puts you in a position, whereas you had to think. And, you know, and then you didn't have all of the outside pressures because, you know, sometimes it's hard. When you have all of these tragedies, not only the tragedies from, you know, state violence, but other tragedies. You know, I talked about, you know, the baby here in Chicago that was killed um, due to, you know, violence. And, you know, when you're bombarded with that, you know, I, I finally got it. It finally clicked for me because when I got there, I was able to breathe, you know, and it's more to that phrase, I can breathe. You know, um, Eric Garner was telling the police officers he couldn't breathe, but, you know, that that extends itself even to us in everyday life. And I remember talking about this on Dear White Allies Part 1, and sometimes we don't get a chance to breathe. You know, you're holding your breath. You're like, oh, you don't get a chance to decompress. And I was able to do all of that that weekend. I was able to breathe. I was able to focus. I was able to think. And it just made such a big difference. I mean, you know, that goes into one of the top five experiences I've had in my life. And... You know, the organizers, the way that they organized it and what they were trying to achieve, they achieved that and some. They were expecting 500 people to show up, but 1,500 of us had other plans, and we showed up. And so Uh it was, yeah, you know, they were expecting five, and they got 1,500, you know. So it was just, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I know I went down there you know, anticipating, you know, again, me being a service, you know, I took extra money with me because, I mean, again, the registration was open and they were, they told people they didn't want a person's lack of funds to be an excuse why they couldn't come. So if you didn't have the money, you know, people just showed up and they came and it was beautiful, and there was on-site registration because there were some people that didn't get a chance to register online, and so they were able to register when they got there. And so, I mean, um, they, they had lunch and breakfast every day, and um, it was interesting because it was like they had a lot of vegan, vegetarian, and gluten-free um, choices there. 
And so, you know, like I said, I brought extra money just in case somebody needed something. And, you know, it was beautiful. It really was. Um, I'm looking forward to next year. And, you know, um, they're going to be releasing some information as to, you know, just basically a post-mortem report, if you will, and some, you know, just little information that's important for people to, you know, to kind of keep the momentum up and to keep people excited about, you know, what they experienced. And so, you know, I would be remiss if I did not mention that today is the one-year anniversary of the assassination of Mike Brown in Ferguson, Missouri. And so there's, they have had a celebration all weekend long. And there's a couple of videos that somebody sent me. You know, I may post them. Then again, I may not. It really just kind of depends. We all know how I am. Because I haven't really been posting a lot lately. And basically, I'll tell you guys, you know, some of the stuff that I post, you can find it in the Black Freethinkers Praxis. The newspaper, Black Freethinkers Praxis, um, it's available. It's a daily paper. You can also subscribe to it as well as subscribe to the Moving Social Justice Daily. And so you have a lot of articles in there, you know, and a lot of stuff I don't even post. But, you know, it, it pulls information from all over the Internet from different people. And sometimes we'll, you know, get uh, an article from Breitbart or some conservative paper. But the reason why I don't really blacklist those particular sites is because I think it's important that we see, you know, what they're thinking and have an idea where they're coming from. I think it's important for us to keep that in mind and, you know, to make that, you know, part of our learning and our growth is is extremely important because, uh, you know, how can you argue against something that you didn't even know existed or, you know, a thought process? that, you know, you haven't even had a chance to kind of, um, you know, deconstruct. So anyway, you know, I'm just talking and talking and talking, but I had a really freaking good time. I remember one day me and this other woman, we were sitting on the bench and sitting there, we were talking and watching the young folks clown and have a good time. And I felt like Waldorf and Statler from the Muppets. Because we were just sitting there and just laughing and tripping and talking about the conference. And, you know, the young people come over and start talking. And, you know, some of us we met in class. But some of them we met in class, in the classes. And some of them, you know, just, you know, seeing them around. I mean, it was like a big, giant family reunion without all of the fights. <laughs> you know, so... Uh, it was funny, but, um, I mean, I learned a lot. You know, I went to, you know, quite a few panels, and it was, oh, man, it was so many panels. And most of the panels that I wanted, they were all at the same time or in different buildings or different classrooms because, you know, I know me. I would have tried to take one half here and the other half there, but there was no half stepping with me. Once I was in a class, I was there focused and interacting and engaging, you know, the instructors as well as the other people. And, you know, that was the place, you know, they implemented, you know, the 
a lot of the people that were there, you know, we are implementing what we learned because that Sunday, you know, early afternoon or mid-afternoon when, you know, many of us were returning back to the dorms to go pick up our personal belongings and going back to the charter buses or, you know, catching taxis to the airport or what have you, um, there was an incident. And, you know, it was only a few of us there initially because we saw when the police, you know, um, basically picked a little 14-year-old young man up to slam him on the ground. We saw it. And so we were there, you know, asking why did they do that and why did they have him in custody? And so to make a long story short, because I don't really want to get into too many details, to make a long story short, it was only, you know, a handful of us, four or five initially. I tell you, within three minutes, it was 200 of us there. And, you know, there were some people that sat in front and back and on the side of the police cars, you know, wouldn't let them move, the, you know, the police car that they put the young man in. And so they had to lower the windows because it was hot outside and he needed to breathe. And so one of the activists, you know, got the young man to give them his mother's information and telephone number. And so they called his mom up and told her to get there immediately. So in the meantime, you know, um, people were protesting. They broke out the pepper spray. And then all you saw were people falling back from the pepper spray and other folks catching them. Right. And so you know, immediate triage went into effect. You know, we had people running to the the different restaurants over there and buying the milk, and, you know, they were pouring the milk in people's eyes, having other people hold the people's head back, you know, so they couldn't move, you know, for, you know, from being triaged. And so it was just interesting because, you know, I was standing next to a young man that got pepper sprayed, And so, you know, they had me holding his head back while they were putting the milk in his eyes. And so, you know, he was just sitting there. First he was sitting on his feet, and I said, no, sit flat, honey. And so, you know, I'm just rubbing on his shoulder, and I'm telling him, I'm right here. I'm not going to leave you. I got you, honey. You know, and so, you know, after a few minutes, you know, and I've got a bottle of water for him. And so after a few minutes, you know, he got up. And I'm like, you okay? And he said, yeah. And he was kind of a little unstable. I'm like, sure you're okay? He was like, yeah. And so he picked me up and gave me this big old bear hug, right? <laughs> it was just the funniest thing. And I gave him the water. And I said, if you start feeling funny, you sit yourself down somewhere now. And he was like, yes, ma'am. And so, I mean, you know, we you saw it live and in action. So, again, fast forwarding. Um, one of the um, the young the, the um, young man's his parents when his mother made it there, and I believe that was his mother, his younger sister, and another relative. And so, you know, basically the police rushed her, you know, to the police car where her son was, and they um, they released him, but they still had him cuffed because they wanted the EMT team to check him out. And so, you know, what happened was, you know, they wouldn't let him out of the car until all of the protesters, you know, moved out the way and made room. And so, you know, they made room, but they created a wall directly to the ambulance. So 
you know, the young man, his family were, you know, walked to the ambulance. Um, the EMT, which was, um, that was treating him, was this young black woman. And she was on it. She made sure that he was A-OK. You know, we could tell she was down. And it was just beautiful. And so then the police finally uncuffed him. And they were releasing him to his mother. And so the wall moved from the ambulance directly to the young man's mother's car. And, you know, as they were walking to the car, you know, basically the crowd started chanting, we love you. And the young man, his mom, his sister, the other one, they, they were just all in tears. And so, um, and it was just interesting because, you know, we just knew our bus driver was going to have a fit. And he didn't say a word. He was taking our luggage you know, putting on a charter bus, and he didn't say a word, you know. And so it's a lot of people out here, you know, that are out here putting themselves on the line. Um, you know, I was not in the line of the pepper spray or anything. Um, we were just absolutely amazed, absolutely amazed. I've never experienced anything like that in my life. And seeing what happened to that young man directly in front of us, I mean, you know, that was life-changing. It really was. And, you know, you've heard me say on this show on a number of occasions that I am my brother and my sister's keeper. And I believe that to be so, even more so now. So anyway, you know, I have to tell you all about that experience. It's so much more. So much more. I mean, everybody was there, and they were free, and they were able to be themselves. And, you know, I met a new new friend on the charter bus. Hey, Blanche. So she was, <laughs> you know, I started calling her Blanche Devereaux from um, the Golden Girls, but you had to see it. You, you would understand why. And so um, it was good. It was good. It was a good experience. And it was great to be around some people who are actually active and getting out and speaking out, you know, about all of these tragedies, you know, and what's happening in our communities. And so, you know, what happened was after we made it home, um, a couple of days later, there was a rally for Sandra Bland um, in Chicago. And so I spoke at that. And, you know, and Raina, come on in. Hey, everybody welcome Raina. She's on the line because, you know, there's a few things that I want to talk about as far as that's concerned. And I really want to make sure that we spend some time on the one-year anniversary of Ferguson. Hey, um, Kim, give me two seconds and I'll be right with you, okay? Okay. (laughs) All right. So we'll talk about Ferguson first. And... So, yeah, this is, you know, the one-year anniversary of Ferguson. And like I said, they're down there and they're commemorating, you know, his, his, you know, commemorating him and commemorating what was started, you know, when, you know, black people finally got fed up and they started saying, no more, no more. We're not going to take any of this anymore. And so, um, you know, it was just, it, it, it was a lot. It was a lot. And over this past year, you know, what I, what I found to be absolutely 
you know, amazing, um, and, and not necessarily in a good way, was the number of people who are very, you know, cavalier about what's happening and what's, you know, taking place in this country in regards to black, brown, red, yellow, and white, you know, white, poor bodies. Because, you know, one of the things that I said in the panel um, about, you know, black Christianity and black religion and social justice movements, I was, you know, sitting there and I was putting it in the proper context for people so that they could have a better understanding as to what was happening and why it was a mirror image. And one of the things that I said is that we need to go back and pick up the poor people's campaign. And that was what, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was working on when he was assassinated. And so basically that was supposed to take place in Mississippi and that movement was supposed to be an aggregation of black, brown, yellow, red, and poor white bodies. And that's why it was called the Poor People's Campaign. You can go and look it up. They had established a tent city right there in front of the White House in D.C. And it was a number of things. And because it was an aggregation of all of these different ethnic and cultural groups, that, you know, it would have been a really huge movement. And so when Dr. King was assassinated, everybody kind of like scattered. Because, I mean, that's scary, you know. And so nothing really has been done with that since then. And I really do believe we need to pick that back up. Um, Even in the class, you know, uh, one of the instructors brought up freedom schools. And you all have heard me talk about that and talk about how I feel we need to pick up um, a lot of what was left back then because we need these, you know, we need to educate each other. And we need to learn a lot of things, but we also need to unlearn a lot of things as well. And so... You know, you know, the interesting part is, is that, you know, it's like you could see light bulbs going off in people's heads and they were like, oh, and it was like I say, it was, it was wonderful. I mean, it was a learning experience, you know, definitely a teachable moment. I personally would, you know, for those of you that um, are, into, you know, educating yourself, you know, if you're an autodidact or if you're a scholar or intellectual or what have you, you know, if you all get a chance, you know, I'll probably, no, I'm not even going to lie, I'm not going to scan that and put it up there. But a lot of that information is on the Movement for Black Lives website. And you can go back and you can look at the schedule and you can look at the panels. And, again, you can self-educate, go and research a lot of these things, um, I learned a lot, actually. And, you know, and I told you guys, I said, you know, I'm always trying to learn something every day. You can, you can never know everything. You know, life in and of itself is a learning experience. But, yeah, go and look. Go and look at the schedules and the panels and start doing some research on your own. They were talking about just a number of different things and... It, it, like I said, it was it was wonderful. 
and, you know, I had a good time. And, I mean, they talked about a number of issues. They talked about Marxism, you know, um, and how a lot of the black radicals from way back when, and we're talking about people like Hubert Henry Harrison. Of course, I had to bring his name up. You know, anytime I get a chance to bring that man up, I will, because, man, I love that guy. But um, Hubert Henry Harrison, John G. Jackson, I mean, Ace Philip Randolph, you know, quite a few of them. Some of them were associated with socialism. Some of them were affiliated with communism. And if you go back and you read or find information about J. Edgar Hoover, when they sent that letter to Martin Luther King Jr. telling him to kill himself, and they sent a tape of him, you know, um, with some woman that was not his wife, and they were doing that to try to prevent him from, you know, accepting the Nobel Peace Prize. But, you know, one of the issues that J. Edgar Hoover had was he kept saying that Martin Luther King was surrounding himself surrounding himself with these um, communists. And so, you know, it's interesting because um, when African Americans for Humanism, when they were putting together that ad campaign from 2012, um, you know, basically, you know, there were some of the people or some of the figures from way back when, you know, uh, and basically some people weren't chosen because it would be seen as problematic by mainstream society because they were identified as socialists or or communists. And so it's just really interesting because, um, you know, even now that stigma of being a socialist or a communist you know, it that stigma in and of itself gets negative reactions from, you know, um, mainstream society. You know, that's one of the reasons why they've come against Barack Obama, you know, with their right. allegations there. And so, yeah, so, I mean, you all, you need to know the history, learn something about, you know, and then those people are saying, why, why are you talking about J. Edgar Hoover? Because he held the power. He's the one that built the FBI up to be what it is. And so I'm saying all of that to say this. Um, what's happening now that's a little disturbing, and I mean, but the thing is, is that I've told you guys about this a long time ago, about how Homeland Security is monitoring, you know, a lot of the activists and a lot of different people in this country. You know, and the stories have been coming out lately, but I've been telling you guys this for years. And I've also been telling you that some of these pastors work directly with Homeland Security. You know, and it's just interesting. And it's like, you know, no one believes it until someone writes an article about it. A lot of the stuff that's happening now, I told you all about this four years ago. I told you it was coming. I saw it. And so, you know, like even now, you know, this is the birth of a new phase of the civil rights black power movement. And it's also, you know, um, a new phase of the Renaissance. And I've been saying that for years. And now it's manifesting, which I'm happy about. But, you know, we want people to be safe. We want people to be aware of their surroundings and aware of people around them because, you know, COINTELPRO is not dead, my dear. 
Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, there were some talks, if you will, and, you know, they were talking about how our telephone calls are being monitored, how our voicemails are being intercepted and listened to before we even know they're there. Text messages are being intercepted. And I told you all last year specifically about a technology called Stingray. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I know some of you all, you know, when you listen to this show, you're like, what the hell is she complaining about? Now I'm not complaining. I'm educating you. I'm trying to tell you what's happening. And you don't have to listen. I understand. But don't act shocked when someone writes an article about it. Like, wow, they said that, but I thought they were bullshitting. No. And so it's it's just, you know, be careful out here, guys. That's all I have to say is be careful. And so, you know, um, we all know Sandra Bland was the Black Lives Matter activist, and we saw what happened to her. And, you know, what I was a little sad about was the same weekend we were having the conference, was the weekend that uh, of her funeral, and so um, basically, you know, her her mother has filed a wrongful death suit against um, you know the people there in Texas, and you know we had um, um basically we did a rally for her that Tuesday, and I spoke at the rally and I was talking about you know, how we need to work together. And I was talking to the white allies, and I was like, you can't wait anymore. You can't be silent anymore. You have to speak up. But not only the white allies, but I'm talking about, you know, the red, yellow, brown, even black people, because there are a lot of, you know, people of color, particularly black people, who are still sitting on their hands in regards to what's happening now. You know, you have all these people. Let's not rush to judgment. And basically what that's saying is, you know, hopefully in a week you will forget about it, and then they don't have to respond to it. Because there are a lot of blacks, you know, in the secular community and outside the secular community that do not care about social justice until it happens to one of their children or somebody that's close to them. Then all of a sudden, yeah, you know, and it's it's just interesting. But, yeah, we need the allies, you know, and we need some of the black people. And, again, you know, this is not a demand. No one can make anyone do anything that they don't want to do. But um, I just say, you know, I'm noting and I'm paying attention. And, you know, I take notes. I write things down. And, you know, there's a reason for that. And, you know, what was funny was during, you know, um, that rally for Sandra Bland, you know, I had to make sure people understood because it's like, you know, what's interesting, especially in the secular community, and, you know, they'll go out and buy a Black Lives Matter T-shirt. You know, I'm an atheist, and Black Lives Matter. I'm a humanist, and Black Lives Matter. And, you know, they'll say, well, I bought a couple of T-shirts, and, you know, we support it, you know, you know, um, when, when mm-hmm. Mr. or Mrs. ABC came out to talk about something, 
And I'm like, solidarity is not buying two T-shirts. Right. No, absolutely not. Right. Solidarity is not going to a conference that the very people's lives that you are talking about, they can't afford to go to. Look, you got people in the secular community thinking that they're doing something radical and something revolutionary, and you're not. And let me tell you why you're not. And it's not racist either. Exactly. Exactly. If the poor are not able to access it, if the poor are not able to participate in it, if the poor are not able to take anything away from it, it is neither radical nor revolutionary. Sorry. That's right. So, you know, and so it's just interesting. And just because your cousin Bubba has, you know, a nonprofit organization that says that they go out there and do anti-racist, anti-sexist work, how do we know that to be true? Because one of the issues that we're coming up against is that we have a lot of these white organizations writing for these grants and getting these monies. In particular, I'm speaking specifically about HIV and AIDS education in black and Latino communities. They apply for these grants and they get these grants. And I ain't seen never one of them in any of the black or brown communities that I frequent. I ain't seen nothing. And, you know, there are people now, because, I mean, the IRS is coming down on a lot of things now. And there are people going to jail left and right for taking those funds, taking those grants, and depositing it into their personal accounts. A 501c3 is not your piggy bank. And I feel that, you know, these organizations should have line item audits. In addition to that, they should be transparent to the very people that are donating to them. Do you know what they did with the money that you sent that 501c3? Do you have any idea what they did with that money? Besides party and all these different conferences. I mean, seriously. So, I mean, you know, you always hear me talking about follow the money. I'm not only talking about that when I'm talking about religion or politics. Even in this community, I have been absolutely amused and entertained the past two months reading some of the stuff going back and forth in this community. Now, I should be the last one to say this, but frankly, I just no longer give a shit. Some of y'all need a fucking life. Seriously. Kim, I don't know if it's me or if it's you, but I'm hearing some distortion on your end. Uh, all right. Is this better? Much better. Thank you very kindly. So, again, <laughs> I'll repeat that. I'll repeat that. Do you think they heard the first time, Raina? I think, I think they heard parts of it, but I think you might want to repeat it. All right. <laughs> I was talking about these 501c3s, whether it's religious, secular, or political. You need to follow the money. You need to understand what they're doing with the money. You know, a lot of people are getting in trouble, excuse me, and going to jail because they're depositing these monies into their personal bank account. Right. And so I think we heard that part. I think it was the last bit that we didn't hear. Ah. Okay, so I was talking about, you know, 
watching, you know, the community over the past couple of months, just watching, because I'm always watching, but I was watching a little closer the past couple of months. And just some of the things that people are arguing and bickering over, I mean, seeing 20 million blogs about A, B, C, D, and E, and, you know, you need to get a fucking life. I mean, just arguing just for the sake of arguing. And it's just, it's absolutely amazing. And I'm just laughing because, again, I see the same crap over here that I saw in the church. So no longer, that's why a lot of my rhetoric has changed over the past couple of years because I thought it would be so much better over here. And it's not. It's actually more fucked up on this side than it is over on the other side. One thing I will say is that if you do go to certain churches and you tell them that you're hungry and you're in need, you may have to let them pray for you first, but they're going to feed you. And probably try to put a few bucks in your pocket if you get to, you know, some of the old church members, the mothers and the deacons from way back in the day. I don't know what that, what that shit they call it nowadays is doing. But anyway, you know, they would do that over There's on this side of the... a little distortion again. Oh, okay. Is that better? Um, say again? I said, is that better? Uh, No. <clears throat> <laughs> All right. Is this better? It's better, but it still sounds distorted. Uh, I hate that. So here we go. I'll fix it. But, um, you okay. know, what's interesting. Wow. I can't. Like, it's all gib- Like, it's all garbled. Now. <laughs> all right. What there about you now? go. Is this Okay, well, I have to go set it down. Wait a minute, it's still still messing up a little bit, cutting in and out, but it sounds sounds better when you speak, at least. Um, Okay, well, now is it still garbled? Oh, now it's better, now it's better. Okay, cool. So, um, basically, yeah, it's just interesting, but, yeah, you all need to pay attention to what's happening. Um, So, anyway, that's enough about that. Well, not really, but I'm not going to give it any more attention. So, um, yeah, Raina, I really wish that you guys could have come. You could have been there because, you know, I met a lot of great people. And so, you know, basically, you know, I'm going to be working on some projects and other things for POC, People of Color Beyond Faith. And so it's, it's it's good. It's really good. So, all right, Miranda, how are you today, my dear? I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> you say you're okay. Yeah, it's my granny's birthday. i got to go and see her shortly. Oh, oh, she's still there, but okay. But, um, yeah, so no, I was just talking about um, just talking just about a number of things. And so, you know, we put together the show today, and, you know, I put a number of questions out there, you know, a number of things that I've been thinking about and have some type of feels about. And so, you know, time is of the essence, everybody. 
It really is. Um, it's a lot of things that we're dealing with. There are a lot of things that are happening. Um, you know, and I've talked about several different issues that are happening. And like I said, I started talking about a lot of this, you know, several years ago. And so, you know, I have been preparing myself. Hopefully some other people have been taking heed and paying attention to what's going on around us. But, um, yeah, yeah, shit's about to change. And we need to be prepared for that. And so, anyway, um, yeah, you know, it's difficult sometimes. You know, we're going to be talking about feels, you know, feelings. Um, it's, it's, it's really difficult sometimes when you're trying to share things with people who, you know, pretty much, you know, don't give a shit. You know, you have a lot of people out here that feel as though if it's not affecting them personally, why should they give a damn about it? Right. And, yeah, you should care. You know, and the apathy, especially in the secular community, the apathy is just it's fucking overwhelming. And so, you know, like I said, you know, that weekend being there and being with those people, you know, has me questioning a lot of things, you know, has me questioning how I self-identify as far as ideology is concerned, because I don't like what I'm saying over on this side either. And so, you know, what's interesting, and and I'm just going to go ahead and pull this in, is that you have that football player, Arian, what's his last name, Raina? Oh, um, I don't know. Is it Foster? I don't, I don't remember. Yeah, that sounds you, right. You were, the, you were the one who brought it. Yeah, because you brought it to my attention because I, I hadn't even heard anything about it. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I'm at the point that, you know, it's like. Oh, it's, it's, it's messing up again, Kim. Sorry. Oh. <clears throat> What about now? Oh, man, it's so bad. Okay. All right. What about now? Is this better? It's You sound far away, and it's so bad. I hate this thing. I tried this. What about now? I don't know what's going on. It's, yeah, it's not good. It's not a good thing. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry. Whatever is going on. Girl, you shouldn't have been talking about that FBI. <laughs> oh, okay. What about mm-hmm. now? Is this? It's it's no. It still sounds pretty far away. The quality is not good. Uh, uh, well. <laughs> All right. What about now? Much better. All right, so I'm right back where I started originally. <coughs> so, so basically, um, you have that Arian Foster, and now, you know, we all knew that Ta-Nehisi Coates was an atheist. As a matter of fact, I believe that I was the first one to, just, you know, read that, you know, a couple of years ago, and I brought it to people's attention, but that's neither here nor there. Basically, 
what's upsetting me is you have people in this community already running behind both yeah, of them. Yeah, it's distortion in it again, Kim. I don't know what's going on. Um, not sure how to fix it, but it's a lot of distortion. And it's, it starts off okay, and then it gets worse. All right, so this is what we'll do. You talk, and I'll dial back in, okay? I'm sorry, hon? I say you talk, and I'll dial back in. I can't hear you. Ah, what about now? Is that better? Yeah. Right now? Okay, yeah, you, talk and let me dial, you talk, and let me dial back in, okay? Okay. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, so I don't know what... Uh, what specific point that um, Kim was getting ready to make was, but um, I think that uh, basically what she, where she's going with this is that um, when it comes to, uh, you know, these uh, intellectuals and these um, black people and sort of the Black Lives Matter uh, movement, it seems like some of the atheist, humanist, you know, secular community is using this moment to exploit these people and these movements in order to further their own aims. So um, there's been, you know, from the beginning, well, not even from the beginning, well, at least from my time, beginning in the secular movement in 2009, there were a number of uh, people who pointed out the lack of diversity in the atheist movement. And to this day, it's still a problem. Um, To this day, uh, diversity is still not really addressed. Um, you know, what they do is some of these conferences will have one or two people of color or maybe a trans person or a couple of, you know, a hand, uh, maybe one or two women, um, usually white women, um, and they'll usually put them um, on a panel that is about diversity. Um, you know, diversity is, you know, needs to go beyond that. We need, we need to hear from people of color, from women, from, you know, other groups on a range of issues, not having just to do with um, being a minority or being gay or being, you know, trans or what have you. Um, So uh, I think that was pretty much where she was going to go with that. I think there was an article um, recently, um, I think it was in the salon, uh, and I think that Kim and I, you know, this isn't to say that the person who wrote it didn't have uh, genuine feelings about it or anything like that or is not at all concerned with Black Lives Matter. I don't know this person, but it's just very difficult as a person of color in this community to take seriously, um, you know, some of these folks who start invoking Black Lives Matter um, because they're not interested in dealing with um, the fact that segregation, the fact that segregation is actually worse now than it was in um, in the 1950s. That you know that schools are being resegregated, that um, mass incarceration, you know, is not only disenfranchising people, uh, taking away their ability to per- participate in the political processes that might alter uh, these sorts of issues in their community, but it's also preventing people from engaging economically with the system, um, it's preventing them from getting an education that might 
allow them to join the workforce. Um, there are just so many other issues. I mean, and even going to what Kim was saying about the whole, um, the conference, you know, I guess you could even call it the conference industrial complex, <laughs> you know, the, <laughs> that goes on, you know, there's all these conferences and all these people have, wanting to have all these conferences. And some of them are, some of them sound, you know, great and grand on their face, but when you look into it, you see that the registration fees are, you know, $100, $150, $250, that the hotels or the conference centers where the actual um, activities are taking place are not um, accessible, uh, you know, by public transportation or, you know, any number of things. Um, And you see the same damn faces, the same damn people saying the same damn things or, you know, borrowing talking points from people like Ta-Nehisi Coates or other people, and they don't really know what these things mean. They have no connection to the lived experiences that, um, you know, Ta-Nehisi Coates refers to. You know, it's just, it's disappointing. I don't know if Kim is back with us or not yet, but hopefully she'll join us shortly. Um, Kim, are you there? Okay, guess not. So we'll just keep going. Um, you know, there's, there's just a number of issues with the, um, with the way in which I, I, I feel the humanist community engages with, um, civil rights issues, with the Black Lives Matter movement, with, um, you know, with just social justice, uh, issues. It just, there's a lot of things that I find problematic and just declaring that you're a humanist, so therefore, you are on the right side of these issues is not enough. Um, It's just not. And, you know, some people, they act like, you know, they say humanist and therefore they're not racist or sexist or um, homophobic or transphobic in some way. And this is simply not the case. Um, You know, they're in one of the things I think that's really irritating for me as a black, you know, secular humanist is to see an atheist. It's to see things, you know, these campaigns that basically trade on the um, success of um, of these social movements like Black Lives Matter, like the, you know, the uh, American atheists and their, you know, atheist votes matter, or not, no, atheist, what's it, atheist votes matter? It's not atheist votes matter. It's like atheist lives matter, or whatever it's called, or conservative atheist matter, that bullshit you know, where they're basically trying to, uh, you know, shore up the uh, atheist conservatives and the Republican Party and uh, try to make the Republican Party more secular, despite the fact that this, you know, community or this, uh, you know, party is responsible for many of the, uh, many of the, uh, sort of policies that are uh, divisive. I think this is Kim now. Hold on. Okay, y'all. Kim is back. Yay. Yay. No, no, what's happening? It wouldn't let me dial into the show either one of the numbers, the host number or the guest number. That's interesting. So I was like, well, let me call Raina back. But I, you know, 
I even hooked up my headphones because, you know, sometimes I can do a direct connection from the computer. And the thing is, is that I bought all of this other equipment and I was playing with it earlier with the direct connection and it wouldn't let me through. So I don't know what's going on, the devil. Anyway, what were you talking about? So basically, um, I, I didn't know specifically which point you were going to make with the whole Cotton Heathy Coach, Arian Foster thing. But what I did was I said that, you know, um, I find it problematic, the ways in which, you know, the humanist community kind of gloms on to um, social justice movements like Black Lives Matter and such because, um, you know, they talk about diversity and what have you, but they're not really making real efforts towards diversity in my opinion, right. and, that, right. um, and that it just seems that it's about exploiting, you know, the movement for their exactly. own ends. And I was saying that, um, you know, you even, you know, even to the extent of, you know, the American atheists and their conservative lives, uh, atheist lives matter, you know, right. that hashtag, like it's just such bullshit, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And see, and that's the thing, you're going in the right direction because that's where I was going with it, is that, you know, you have these people out here, you can't be bandwagoning and blah, blah, but that's exactly what they're doing. And what they're doing is trying to attach themselves to the Black Lives Matter movement, trying to attach themselves to Arian Foster and Tonic Easy Coates. You know, and I mean, the thing is, is that if Black Lives Mattered, why aren't you dealing with a lot of the Black Lives in this community? Why do you want to latch on to that when you won't even say anything to your membership? Okay, I don't know. I, I guess maybe maybe it's my phone. I don't know. But I'm hearing I'm hearing distortion again, Kim. I don't know what's going on. I think it's my phone. I'm sorry if I made you dial out. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. We'll just we'll just move on with him. I mean, how is this? No. Okay. Um. Try again. Say say something else. I said, what about now? Is that okay? Okay. I heard you that time. Okay. So, yeah, I'm like, you know, for them to be out here claiming that black lives matter, you know, jumping on to that particular um, movement. And yeah, it's not it's not working, girl. I'm sorry. I think oh, it's no. my fault. You think it's your phone? I think it might be my phone. I don't know. I mean, I have all my bars, though. Huh. Okay. So, yeah, this is going to be interesting. All right. Let's see if I can call back in. Hold on a second. All right. You want me to call back in? Hello? No. Hello. Hello? Okay. Um, so I guess Kim's going to call me back. <laughs> um, in any case, no, the, um, it's just, it's really problematic, the whole the way that um, the atheist secular community tries to co-opt the messages of these social justice movements like Black Lives Matter. Um, when we don't really see any evidence that they are really invested in social justice in any substantive way. Um, you know, there's these, uh, they have these conferences, these repeating conferences, but 
you know, again, no, even on the conferences, it's the same people, it's the same faces, and they're all on the diversity panel for the most part. Um, and, or they're on the or they're on the panel talking about you know Asian American atheists or you know uh, Black American atheists you know um, and they're not they're not asked to participate in things like science literacy or um, or even uh, uh, women's reproductive rights or something along those lines it's um it's just it's just a bunch of nonsense so. Um, we're going to wait here for Kim to show back up. She hasn't called me back yet. But um, in any case, um, you know, see, I mean, just just watch and and pay attention to how these organizations, um, you know, even discuss these issues of social justice. I mean, sometimes they're problematic in the way that they talk about them. I mean, some of these organizations and, and folks you'll find saying things like all lives matter, you know, and, you know, missing the entirety of the point that, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement isn't about uh, telling uh, or saying to other groups that their lives don't matter. Um, it's about, it's about focusing on um, people of color, particularly Black people who are, um, you know, who are pushed into the margins, who are, you know, um, particularly vulnerable to mass incarceration, the school to prison pipeline, to um, to the uh, effects of predatory lending and, and uh, other predatory economic practices and what have you. So the, you know, Black Lives Matter is not a divisive movement. It's about, it's about fighting to um, basically fighting for the for the lives of black people to to say that the lives of black people hold meaning um, that they're valuable and um, it's unfortunate that some people you know have tried to co-opt that or try to um, try to you know use it for their own purposes or, or change it twist it for their own purposes like conservative atheists matter because I don't think that anyone is sitting around thinking to themselves, uh, or, or I, I, don't, I wish someone could present me rather with the statistics on uh, conservative atheists who suffered police brutality, or you know um, the number of them that have uh, you know been you know the victims of mass incarceration or what have you. So you know we have to be very purposeful. We have to be really um, you know be really careful about how we deal with these issues. I think this is Kim. Hold on. <laughs> now you're back with yeah. us? Okay. My yeah. goodness, that sounds so much better. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm, I am not sure what's happening. It's like, anyway. Uh-oh. So it was you? sounding better for you? a second. Oh, goodness. We're going to get this together, Kim. Oh, my gosh. This is horrible. <laughs> oh, oh, that's too funny. I don't know. What about, is it better? better it yet? sounds better so yet? much better now. Yes, yes, yes. Stay wherever you oh. are. Don't move an inch. <laughs> All right, so I'm standing in my hallway. Okay. So, yeah, where were you in, in your discussion um, here? Oh, no, I was talking, I was, I was just going, you know, going back over what I said, and I was saying, you know, the 
um, you know, the uh, a lot of even even some of the humanists, uh, you know, these humanists and secularists uh, who are, you know, trying to uh, identify themselves with social justice causes. You know, you'll even catch them saying sometimes all lives matter. And, um, you know, I, you know, I didn't I hadn't quite gotten into how that how violent that sort of um, right, you know, that sort of phrase is. Um, because mm-hmm. what it does is it, it, it's basically uh, glossing over or trying to minimize the fact that black lives are particularly vulnerable to certain patterns right. and practices of oppression and violence. Um, and, some of the, and some of the ways in which black people are vulnerable to certain, certain methods of oppression and violence are not, are not obvious. They're not obvious. Right. They're, some of them are... Um, are very, uh, very covert and very insidious, exactly. you know? Yeah. So, um, yes. we have to, um, we have to keep that in mind, you know? Exactly. And you're right. And I got to make my point about Arian and Arian Foster and Ta-Nehisi Coates. And I already see, you know, the community is already trying to latch themselves to these people to try to build up you know, whatever credibility that they're trying to, you know, make or have on this person's celebrity or notoriety or what have you. And, again, I mean, we've talked about people in this community being self-promoting, being opportunists, and I already know, especially with Mr. Foster, he already has a line of people ready to meet him personally. But I'm not going to go there today. But, um... You know, again, Look, you know, and if just, he's a conservative, and if he's a conservative, they might try to get him to speak at CPAC next year. Although I would warn him to be very careful <laughs> that he doesn't that he doesn't uh, he doesn't have a situation like what befell his predecessor. <laughs> right. Exactly. And so, you know, and, and to be honest with you, I kind of feel bad for, but we'll talk about that offline. But okay. um. Um, you know, the interesting thing is, is like I said, you okay, already I have... Okay, I told pe- you not to move. You're supposed to not I'm move. That one eye owner. I'm standing in the same place. Let me walk over here. What about oh. now? Is that better? No. Oh. Oh. No. 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 It's still no. messing up. Uh, I told now? you don't be talking about no FBI. I didn't say anything about no FBI. <laughs> okay, what about now? I still no. can't hear you very well, though. Frack. You know, I have a whole bunch of four-letter words I want to say now. Let's see here. What about now? Yeah, I, don't know. Is that I don't know how to how to make this any better, girl. So, I mean, oh, would you like to maybe no, continue uh, this next week or something? Yeah, probably. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you a little bit. Oh, frick. Okay, let's go to the back door. Uh, now it's back to not so good. That's like... Uh, All right, what about Let's just continue next week, or, or maybe we can try again tomorrow. You want to do that? Yeah, let's try again tomorrow. And, okay. you know, sorry about that. But see, it gives me another two hours. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Mm-hmm funny how we can hear each other when we're like, oh, well, we'll just wait until tomorrow. Oh, it's messing up again. See? <laughs> it's like, it's like, just right, when uh, it gets good, it gets, it gets worse. 
Yeah. Exactly. All right, so we'll try this again yes. tomorrow, everybody. Yeah, All right. I have no idea what you just said. That's great. <laughs> Tell everybody bye. Tell them bye. Yeah, it's it's not it's not doing very well. So, hey, everybody, we're gonna have to do this another time. <laughs> so um. <laughs>